helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. like the solution to every problem must come from D.C. As if a new law, regulation, or court opinion will fix everything. We've tried that approach for decades, and where's it got us? Loss of sovereignty, inflation, and burdensome regulations are just a few of the outcomes from this worshipping at the feet of the federal government. You would think that by now the American people would have learned their lesson. However, the evidence shows that, well, we the people, are still willing to suffer the evils coming out of D.C., that we will try the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result. And I hope we all know what Albert Einstein thought of that. Hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution. Teach your rising generation to be free. I am so glad you could you join me today. You know, I'm going to spend most of the time looking at, well, what our worship of the federal government has brought us. This um, misrepresentation, this misunderstanding of the, the supremacy clause, this belief that all good things come out of D.C., what has it really brought us? Now, one of the things it's brought us is, well, treaties. Some of these treaties, you know, are, are really, well, they're really quite evil because they are an attempt to hand over the sovereignty of the United States to a third party. I'm talking specifically about many of the, the UN treaties. Now, the United Nations was created after World War II as a diplomatic hub, a place where countries could come to neutral ground and talk to each other, engage in diplomacy. However, it's turned more and more into first a regulatory and in some cases even a legislative body. And it does it, by the way, through treaties. And, and, and here's an interesting example. So um, a lot of the, uh, the climate change standards have come out of the, the uh, what do they call it, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. Well, the problem is they have no force of law here in the United States. Remember, only treaties within, that are made within the authority of the United States are the supreme law of the land. So here we have the recent COP28 meetings and, well, let me tell you a little bit about what some of the people there are expecting out of their, uh, uh, their, their current set of treaties. During an interview, Robert Lindman, who is the International Climate Science Canada Economics Policy Advisor and the principal at one of the, uh, the policy groups, made a couple of interesting statements. He said, the developing countries are asking for $2 trillion per year in the period between 2025 and 2030 from the OECD countries. And if you break that down in terms of percentages, that would probably be asking for Canada, that's about $78 billion a year that Canada would be required to pay. And that works out to just under $5,000 per Canadian household that would be asked of us. And ladies and gentlemen, to me, this is the heart of the climate scare. It's about money. Follow the money. Countries want money. $2 trillion a year for the five year, the six years actually, from 25 to 30. Now, it's interesting. This obviously, Mr. Lemon's a Canadian, but if you do the math, he estimated that uh, for the United States, it would be $640 billion per year. And he says that's a conservative estimate. 
over $5,000 per American household. But here's what I want you to consider. That's getting close to what we spend on our national defense. We spend about $850 billion a year. And this is money that simply be taxed from you, collected from you, and handed over to developing countries to help them, well, implement climate change solutions that don't really work. Now, Mr. Lindman continues, he said, I think it's almost impossible to imagine that the governments of the OECD countries would agree to do that because if they did, the reaction of their citizens, and as in Canada, would be to basically throw out of office those who would agree to that. It's an interesting question as to whether they, the developing countries, are really serious because it's uh, about it because it is so far beyond the pale that it may well be that what they are doing is using that as a negotiating tactics in the hopes that maybe they won't get $2 trillion, but maybe they'll get $1 trillion or they'll get some other extraordinarily large number. You hear the negotiation. I, I, that may be true. The negotiation tactics of a, 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 a third party, someone not elected by you, someone who does not represent you, that wants to negotiate a deal to give money to, third, to, to developing countries for their climate agenda. But Paul, they'll sign a treaty and, and it'll be ratified. And if it's ratified by the, the Senate, then it's the law. We have to follow it. No. Read the Supremacy Clause. Only treaties made under the authority of the United States. Where does the United States get, get its authority? Simple. The Constitution. And since the Constitution does not authorize Congress to spend money to help other countries fix their, econo their, their, their economic problems or their, or their climate problems, that's not a power delegated to the United States, not within their authority. That would not be the supreme law of the land. And in fact, anybody who signs, a, who, 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 uh, signs or votes for eradication of a, such a treaty, the handing over of our sovereignty to another entity, to a world government, I believe they should be fired. They, they should be thrown out because it places another entity superior to the Constitution of the United States. It literally turns over the sovereignty of the Constitution. And if you want even more evidence of that, there are several scientists on the UN's IPCC. They want some, 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 some more influence. See, five of the lead authors on the IPCC reports insist that the scientists should be given the right to make policy prescriptions and potentially to oversee their implementation by the 195 states signed up on the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. That's right. IPCC, there are at least five authors that think they should tell the United States what their policy will be and, how, and oversee its implementation. Now, did the, did the Constitution delegate to the United States the power to hand over regulatory powers to a third party, an international party? No, that's not within the authority of the United States, which just goes to show why we have to watch the representatives of the states in the Senate when they are ratifying such uh, treaties. Are they attempting to hand over something that is not, they're not, not constitutionally authorized to, in which case it's not the supreme law of the land? And we need to know this. Because I guarantee you that most of the media, most of the politicians, and most of the pundits will tell you, we signed a treaty, we have to follow it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not true. 
if the president signed and the Senate ratified a treaty that is in violation of the Constitution of the United States, it is not the law here. And we have every ability to ignore it. Now, that's overseas. That's international. What about right here in the good old U.S. of A.? You know, we've got the uh, the one climate group that's coming for your pocketbook. We've got one that's coming for your regulations. Well, guess what's going on here? We have this little thing called inflation. Now, most of us think of inflation as an increase in prices, but that's not true. See, it's not an increase in prices. It's a decrease in the value of the money you're using to purchase a product. I give you an example. I, 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 I wish I could find it. I, I had this st statistic uh, a while ago, but it compared the price of the median home in the United States purchased in dollars versus purchased in gold. And what was interesting was the, um, while the, the price in dollars went up, the price in gold remained relatively stable. And if you think of it, if, if you go back and you watch the, the increase in consumer prices compared to the increase in the value of gold, you'll see that it's not that these things are worth more, it's that your dollar is worth less. And then I heard an interesting statement. See, there's this thing called monetary inflation. Monetary inflation basically is an increase in the money supply. If you have more dollars chasing the same or fewer goods, the dollar to goods ratio means the price is higher. In other words, if you have uh, 100 widgets and your neighbor has $100, right? there's 100 widgets and $100, you've got a dollar a widget. Makes sense. If you have 100 widgets and now you've got $200, well, you can easily see it could be $2 a widget. That's the logic behind that. And again, looking at our history, that rings true. What that means, my, my wife loves to look at uh, real estate prices in her neighborhood, in our area. She, you know, she's not looking to buy anything. Just, she just follows the, the market. It's kind of her thing. And what's interesting is I have a nice chunk of land here in Middle Tennessee. Now, according to the experts, my land costs something like 30, is worth 30 to 40% more than it was when we bought it. Well, wait a second. The land hasn't gotten any bigger. There's no more land here. There's no improvements here. All that really means is the dollars someone would use to buy my land are not worth as much as they were when we bought this place eight years ago. Almost, almost nine years ago now. Now, why do we have such inflation? Well, the answer is simple. The federal government keeps printing money. Why do they keep printing money? Well, because they keep spending more money than they take in. And since we gave Congress the ability to coin, to make money, they said, fine, let's do it. We'll just, you know, make up money out of thin air. That's basically what they do with the Federal Reserve. They say, uh, uh, okay, Terry says, we've got a, a few trillion dollars in bonds we want to sell. Well, probably hundreds of billions. And uh, we can't get the price. Uh, the price everybody wants is too high. Federal Reserve, will you buy them from us at a discount? Yeah, basically, yeah. And it actually is a tax on the American people that does tremendous damage to the economy, both in the short term and the long term. Take, for example, now how many of you have a 401k, right? I came into the labor market pretty much at the end of the pension plan. 401ks were standard. Um, and this, I have a couple of them, actually. 
And um, just in the last three years, just in the last three years, the real value of my 401k is down almost 25%. At least this is according to the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Meaning if I had retired in January of 2021, what I could have purchased with the value of my 401k, I can only purchase 75, actually 75.2% today. This is the damage of inflation. And of course, Biden's going around going, inflation is down, inflation is down. Yeah, but you know what? Prices aren't down. Yes, it's going up. The, you know, your prices are going up. The value of your dollar is still going down, to be more accurate. It's just not going down as fast as it was before, but it's still going down. Which means the gas you buy, the food you buy, the, the energy you use to heat and cool your home, all of which takes more of those dollars. But if you, but, but, but there's no investment I know of, no legitimate investment that can expect a 25% increase over three years, cycle after cycle after cycle. Meaning you're always falling behind. And we're falling behind because of the policies of the people that represent us in Congress. Meaning, remember, all uh, bills for collecting money must come out of the House. Pretty much all the spending bills come out of the House. The people that we elect that represent us, all appropriations, all that spending. It's not the president's fault, at least not completely. Most of it lays at the hand, at the feet of the members of the House, son to the Senate, and then to the president. Meaning, it's our fault, baby. We keep hiring these crooks. And those crooks are not only spending us into oblivion, they're robbing us blind to do it. And just to rub a little salt in that wound, consider this. Three large unions, all of them representing government employees, the National Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers, and the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. They all are public unions. They all represent public employees. They spent almost $280 million of their members' dues. Those dues are paid out of our taxes to influence the election. Now, do I believe that people have a right to express themselves? Absolutely. Do I believe they have the right to organize? Absolutely. My question is, if you are a union that covers government employees, do they have, is there a, a conflict of interest for them to funnel money into the campaigns of the people that will determine their budget? Because you have to expect, what do they want to spend money on? If they're going to make campaign contributions or otherwise assist campaigns, what do they want? They're going to want more money for teachers, at least two of them. They're going to want more money for state, county, and municipal employees. They're going to want that. They're going to lobby for that. That's kind of what you would expect. But is, isn't that a question of, uh, of taxation without representation? Now, this is a sticky issue, and I, I really haven't gotten into it as deeply as I thought. Maybe, maybe that's something I'll consider, is to look a little closer about these, these, publicly, these public unions. And you know, once you pay a teacher's salary, as a public, we have no authority over how they spend it. If they want to pay dues to be in a union, that's fine. Um, and and the it gets to be a little sticky. But it's something I want you to be aware of that um, 
You know, you have public unions that are investing millions of dollars into elections. They did it last election. They're going to do it in this election. And um, what influence does that have? And maybe how should we, the people, think and consider about that, that um, uh, our taxpayers, our tax dollars are paying these employees that are then lobbying to get more of our tax dollars. Something to think about. Especially the fact that a lot of these policies, a lot of these rules and regulations, they're being generated by federal regulations out of the Department of Education and the Department of Labor. So hmm, that's probably worth taking an even closer look at. Now, I have to take a break. Before I go, though, you know, are you one of those people that have a hard time falling asleep? That's been my wife's case pretty much as long as I've known her. Well, if you're tired of being tired, I found something for you. It's the only sleep supplement designed to support all four stages of sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed. That's Healthy Cells REM Sleep Supplement. It's a easy-to-use travel-ready gel pack. I throw one in my bag when I travel to make sure I sleep when I'm on the road. You can get a lot more details at americaoutloud.shop. But there's, a, there's an interesting coupon code. Make sure you find the coupon code. The code is out loud. So if you go to the Healthy Cells website and use the code out loud, you get 25% off your first order. So go to americaoutloud.shop, get all the details, but make sure when you go to Healthy Cell, use that code out loud at checkout. It lets them know you listen to America Out Loud, and as a thank you, you get 25% off your first order. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high stress on the go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You rejoin the Constitution study. And today we're asking, what has D.C. done for you? 
our, our hyper focus on everything being federal, everything's a federal court case, everything's a federal legislature, everything going on in the feds, what have they actually done for us? And we've already seen how they've turned over our sovereignty, or they're trying to, to uh, uh, the United Nations and other foreign bodies. We've seen how they've debased our money and, and you know, spent us into oblivion and borrowed money that uh, we, we don't have, that making our, our retirements more difficult. And even how, well, unions have gotten into the game to help uh, spread the money to, uh, to, to determine the, the future of, of, of D.C. See, the interesting thing about the Constitution that um, seems to have been lost is that it created a, a federal government that's supposed to be subservient to the states. The states established the powers of the federal government when they ratified the Constitution and they've ratified the amendments. But we've forgotten that. We seem to think that well, whatever Washington wants to do, it can do. If it can get Congress to approve it, it can do anything it darn well pleases. But here's another example. So, so recently, um, Senator Peter Walsh from Vermont introduced, uh, 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 or I'm sorry, he's, plan he's planning uh, legislation called the Inclusive Democracy Act. I can tell right off the bat he's not interested in the Constitution because he's talking about a, a democracy or not a republic. But let's look at what he's trying to do. Um, it, 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 the Inclusive Democracy Act is says uh, it, the, the right of citizens of the United States to vote in an election for federal office shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of conviction of a criminal offense. Now, I want you to start, let's start off with the, uh, the federal overreach, right? First of all, the federal government has no legal authority to set rules for elections. I know we have this whole Federal Election Commission, have all this, it's all unconstitutional. See, the only federal election, the only truly federal election, is when the um, electors vote for president. See, this election for federal office is still a state election. Would you like me to show it to you? Sure. Article 1, Section 2, Clause 1. The House of Representatives shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of the several states. And the electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislature. That's it. Nothing about federal regulation, nothing about the feds setting the rules for how those elections are conducted. That ladies and gentlemen, is another federal lie. Well, that's members of the House. Um, what about members of the Senate? That's the 17th Amendment, which reads, the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state elected by the people thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. There's nothing in there about, uh, it does say the elections, the electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for the electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislature. Nothing about the federal government controlling how that election takes place. And even dealing with the, uh, the election of the president, right? Article 2 says, Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors, equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state, the state may be entitled in the Congress. See, these are state elections, just another federal attempt to take over state elections. So from that standpoint, it's bogus. It's 
Um, it, it's just an unconstitutional act. If you want to do this, it has to be done at the constitution at the constitutional level. The federal the, nowhere in the constitution is Congress giving the authority to determine how states go uh, handle their election, except that they be that that they follow the constitution, right? Things like um, poll taxes, age, um, that. But those are all in the constitution, not simply laws of the United States. Now, it does bring up one interesting point. Because it says that uh, you, you should not be denied or abridged um, uh, by the United States or by any state on account of conviction of a federal uh, of a criminal offense. Uh, first of all, um, um, well, this is an interesting question because I do think the blanket um, loss of certain rights by convicted felons is an overreach. I believe it, it falls under the excessive fines of the. Uh, Eighth Amendment. For example, uh, you can commit a felony that's not a violent crime. Why should you be not denied your right to own a firearm? Uh, you can be convicted of a a a, a felony that has uh, that I, I would see no reason why it would deny you your right to vote. Now, are there certain crimes which are so heinous that the right to vote? Um, is a viable punishment? Yeah, possibly. Uh, say maybe um, interfering in an election, um, election fraud on a mass scale. I could see scenarios. I might even see scenarios involving certain heinous crimes. But that's a decision for the states to make, not for the federal government to make. See, since we know so little about the the, United, the actual Constitution of the United States, we believe that the, that, or at least this this senator believes, and and probably more, that he's well within his power to say that, uh, hey, Congress, I should say, Congress is well within their power to tell the states how to punish their criminals. Again, if you could, if it was a simply, you know, under the Eighth Amendment, certain crimes may be an excessive thing. That's not what they're saying. They're gonna. He's making up so far. He's making a blanket statement that um, being convicted of a crime doesn't cost you your right to vote. But again, that's not a decision up to the Congress. That's a decision the people make, both at the state level and if we want to do it nationally, then that would be at the constitutional level. Now I'm not sure what's in the water here in Tennessee. But I've got not one, but I've got two uh, uh, bills in uh, in the, being proposed in the House by Tennessee representatives that, um, well, let's just say they keep going too far. They keep turning it into a federal issue. First one, uh, Representative John Rose. Uh, he was in a, a committee meeting, um, I think it's the... Uh, was it a housing, the housing and insurance subcommittee hearing? And uh, he talked about some legislation he's proposing. Eliminating the permanent chassis requirement for manufactured housing from the federal construction code administered by HUD will help to potentially save thousands of dollars on new manufactured homes made without a permanent chassis. I am proud to have introduced a bipartisan bill, H.R. 5198, the expansion of attainable home ownership through Manufactured Housing Act of 2023, 
along with my colleague, Congressman uh, Correa of California, uh, that will eliminate this outdoor, <clears throat> excuse me, outdoor, outdated requirement. Uh, I thank the subcommittee for attaching the bill to today's hearing and look forward to working with colleagues to advance this important piece of legislation. Here's a perfect example of a federal agency, in this case, the con federal Congress, trying to fix a problem created by Congress when they created the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Look through the Constitution. Is regulating housing a power delegated to the United States? No. Yet, Congress created the, the Department of Housing and Urban Development unconstitutionally. Therefore, that act is void. Don't look at me. Look at Alexander Hamilton. At least three support, Supreme Court cases. Unconstitutional acts are void. as if they never, never happened. But now the Housing and Urban Development apparently sets these rules for uh, manufactured homes. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but basically they, that they have to have a permanent chassis under them, and I'm not sure why that's not my point. My point is you had the Congress create an agency, unconstitutionally created an agency. That agency has created rules that have made those homes more expensive. Um, and now Congress wants to pass a law to tell the agency not that, hey, guess what? We are wrong. You don't legally exist. Uh, shut down. Let's save ourselves a few billion dollars. No, we're going to tell you that this rule you created, we don't want it anymore. Now, on the one hand, I know a lot of people look at this and say, hey, that's a great idea. Let's get rid of this stupid rule. I got a better idea. How about we get rid of HUD? See, the, 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 got to remember, the, the reason he's introduced this legislation is an illegal and illegitimate agency created a rule that makes manufactured homes more expensive. That's it. So now he wants to create another rule to subvert the first rule that didn't legally exist to begin with, all because we turned everything on Washington, D.C. I have an idea. I have a great idea. How about we, like I said, get rid of HUD. Get rid of all of HUD's rules. Say, guess what? We looked at the Constitution. We don't have the authority to tell people that, uh, um, uh, we don't have the authority to, to give money to people to buy homes. We don't have the authority to regulate what those homes look like and what what they should be, what, you know, what what's involved. We don't have the uh, the authority to do that. So wouldn't it be interesting if we actually went back to the Constitution, if instead of uh, saying Congress has to do something, Congress, we didn't authorize you to do it. Go away. Leave us alone. Um, HUD doesn't legally exist. And stop making our lives miserable. I know it sounds like a radical idea, but it's a constitutional idea. It's the idea that our founding fathers thought of when they constructed the Constitution. That, that, that the federal government would be limited. And at least two of them, Jefferson and Madison, thought when the federal government went beyond their stated goals, their stated powers, that the states can simply say, no, that doesn't exist anymore. Now, they were not agreed with, with by the 11 of the other states, but that was on that specific task. In other words, the, um, uh, they, they didn't agree on the, on the Alien Sedition Acts. But the idea that the states tell the federal government what to do, that's the whole idea of the Supremacy Clause, the Constitution being supreme, that only laws of the United States made pursuant to the Constitution.
are also considered supreme. Now, there are some other things that are going on that uh, may give you just a little bit of hope. Uh, for example, um, right now we've got uh, a couple of dozen um, Republican members of Congress that are demanding the White House turn over uh, documents around Executive Order, Executive Order 14, 14019. Uh, this was signed back in 2021. It basically was Biden ordering hundreds of federal departments to interfere in the election process using taxpayer money to boost voter registration and get out the vote activities. Now, the question is, will we see any of this? But see what happens when you centralize things. You have this letter to the to the White House saying they want the demand that they get this data only existed because, well, the president thought he had the authority to meddle in local and state elections because no one's ever told him no. Or more accurately, no one's ever told D.C. No, you can't do that. But by centralizing power, now you have the um, the assumption that Washington could tell the states, hey, let's do voter registrations for you. We'll take U.S. taxpayer money to, sp to spend for voter registration, which is not a power delegated to the United States. Same with get out the vote activities. And let me tell you, raise your hand if you think that this money that will be used for the, the voter registration to get out vote will be used in a bipartisan manner. <clears throat> yeah, right. And you remember when uh, Biden wanted to forgive $10,000 of student loans to everybody who still had uh, uh, money they owed. And of course, everyone said, you can't do that. The Constitution doesn't authorize that. Well, now the um, uh, there's a bill uh, that has apparently passed the House, 210 to 189, to repeal what uh, Biden called the Saving on a Valuable Education or SAVE plan. So now that at least you have somebody saying, listen, the federal government cannot do that. Federal government should never have gotten involved in the student loan business, period. But again, our general ignorance of the Constitution and of the power it gives us, gives the states, gives, or I should say, protects for the people that it gives the states, has led us to turn everything, even student loans, over to the federal government. And have you noticed that every time the federal government touches something, they seem to make a mess of it? Name me one thing that has gotten better with federal supervision. Uh, certainly not our infrastructure. Roads are a mess. Bridges are a mess. Infrastructure is a mess. Our electrical infrastructure, our electrical grid is a mess. Healthcare has gotten more difficult and more expensive. Education has gotten more expensive and less effective. And on and on and on. Every time we centralize something, we make it worse. Yeah, we keep doing it. We keep thinking if we just if we just hire the right people, if we just set the right rules, if we just create the right policies, everything will magically get better. And it never does. And we sit back, we wonder, gee, I wonder why this isn't working. And we point our fingers at the donkeys and the elephants. And really what we should be doing is pointing the fingers at ourselves for expecting a one-size-fits-all entity called the United States government to make bespoke solutions for all of us. Now, I have to take another break. Before I go, though, uh, have you considered, have you got a last-minute uh, Christmas gift you're looking for? I want to remind you that all of my books, books I've written, are 20% off at constitutionstudy.com slash shop. 
flat, no coupons, no nothing. Just order the books. All of my books are 20% off, digital and paperback. Take your pick. You can also find some clearance items. I got some t-shirts right now that are on clearance. Those are 50% off. And again, they may make a nice gift for you as a last-minute gift for Christmas. Also, please join me every day in heading to AmericaOutloud.news, a great place to get news and information about what's going on in the world. But I'm going to ask you to do more. I'm going to ask you to find a story, a podcast, a video, an article, something that you think is important, something that you think someone would be interested in. Share it. Share it with friends, share it with family, share it on social media. By doing so, you're helping to secure the blessings of liberty. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the Sea of Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Welcome back, Everyday Americans, if you join the Constitution Study. Today, I'm asking you, what has D.C. done for you? We keep looking as if D.C. is the solution to all of our problems, and it just seems they make things worse. Uh, take, for example, Mayor Adams from New York. He recently went down to D.C. to beg money from the federal government for the mess that, well, he and, and uh, the rest of the city council in New York City has made. 
You see, they decided that they would be a sanctuary city, that they would provide housing and assistance to, to anybody here, legally or illegally. They would provide for it, no questions asked. You know, then people started showing up. And they got bit right in the backside by it. I mean, this is, you know, this is definitely the, the, a, a self-inflicted wound. Rather than dealing with their problem, they're dealing with, uh, I think, billions of dollars in, in shortfalls. I think it was $12 billion the last number I saw. But rather than realizing, you know what, we've made a mistake, we've gone too far, we have to do something, Mayor Adams went to Washington, D.C., hat in hand and hand out, looking for money. As if it's DC's salute, DC's responsibility for the problem you made. You see, interesting, Dallas doesn't have this problem. Nashville doesn't have this problem. Phoenix doesn't have this problem. Now, again, I don't know about some of those others. I know in Nashville, the, the, there is an issue, but not nearly like New York City's. But then again, we never said it would be a sanctuary city, did we? See, they've made their mess, but they think the federal government will bail them out. You know, like the spoiled brat, brat child that always figures that mom and dad will fix whatever mistakes they make. They get caught speeding. They get caught stealing. They get caught smoking drugs. Mom and dad will fix it for them. Mayor Adams is a slave. Now, a lot of people are going to be upset that I just said that. But he is. He's basically made himself a slave to Washington, D.C. You want me to, you know, he's, he's saying, I can't do this. You have to do it for me. Now, a lot of people will say, but Paul, immigration is a federal problem. No, it's not. Read the Constitution. Congress has the power to regulate naturalization. They do not have the power to regulate immigration. The word immigration does not exist in the Constitution of the United States. Albany made this mess. New York City made this mess. Mayor Adams, Kathy Hochul, and, well, the legislature of the state of New York and the council of the city of New York, they've made this mess. It's up to them to fix it. It is not up to you in the rest of the country to pay for his mistakes. But you see, that's what we get when, when the federal government becomes nanny. When everything is a federal issue, everything's a, a, federal, uh, a, a federal problem, requires federal reg regulation, and is a federal case. Now, this centralization mentality doesn't only exist with Washington, D.C., for example, the state of Nebraska recently decided that they were going to amass all of the health data of all of its residents into a, a what they call the Health Information Technology Board. You see, this, this board wants to centralize all patient health and medical records. Gee, after all, you know, have you seen the... Uh, the, uh, the the hacking and, and the, the ransomware and all that that we've been seeing lately? But there's a couple more interesting things about this. As an aside, you know, my wife has a, a, a serious medical condition. We go to several doctors, and um, I actually designed, shortly after she got sick, um, I designed a medical health record system that is both secure and patient-controlled, not doctor-controlled, not government-controlled, but nobody wants to talk to me about that. 
So the, the Nebraska Health Information Technology Board said they're going to centralize all this data so that now if you are a patient and you want to get access to your data, apparently you're going to have to go to the HIT, the Health Information Technology Board, or are they going to have some system that controls and regulates it? But this is it, the questions that keep coming up is this part of a, a larger issue? Not only are we dealing with a a a breach of um, a breach of of people call it privacy. What is where does the state, the state of Nebraska get the legal authority to say they have rights to your medical data? Well, probably the same place that people thought that the federal government had the right to your medical data. Anybody remember the HIPAA laws? Are you like me? Are you tired of filling out that same stupid HIPAA form over and over and over again? You know the one that says that uh, uh, that that on the on the outset the the purpose of HIPAA to keep your data secret, uh, you know, or private, I should say, um, is a good thing. Of course, the way the federal government did it is a is a royal mess. But it's bringing up a lot of questions. You know, are we going to see something similar? At the federal level, since the federal government has already determined they get to decide uh, health care policy throughout the country, not just through the Affordable Care Act, not just through Medicaid and Medicare, not just through the COVID nonsense. They want to turn around and they seem to believe that they are in charge of, of everything. Could this be the preview of a national health services in the United States where the federal government collects all this data and then what do they do with it? You see, that's the part that's that's concerning. Why why must we put our our most private information, information about our health, in the hands of a third party? By the way, doing so has some very interesting um, nuances. See, the federal court, the Supreme Court has already decided once you put your any information in the hands of a third party, it's no longer protected by the Fourth Amendment. Now, that's a flat-out lie, but that's the way the court treats it nowadays. And now we're putting medical records in there. Does this mean that the state can start searching and say, you know what? You don't eat enough broccoli. You, 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 your weight's too high. Your blood pressure's too high. Um, you need to seek treatment because we've decided that you don't meet our, our healthy standards. And again, is this just another attempt to push us towards a um, centralized database of everything? As I've observed over my lifetime, we've gone to a more and more centralized way of life, way of thinking. And of course, I can't help but wonder, what does that cost us? The idea of individuality, rugged individualism, was something that Americans cherished. From sayings like pulling yourself up by your own bootstrap. From, from the heroes, the pioneers who first came to this country, who came to this land. So those in Jamestown seeking profit, those in, those in Plymouth seeking religious freedom. The, the 13 colonies seeking their own independence, their way to make their own way in this world. The men, the women, the whole families that headed west, always exploring, always knowing that they would 
depend on themselves first and their neighbors second. There's always been this balance between individuality and collectivism. And I believe as they remained in balance, we had a relatively balanced society. Yeah, we still had our problems. We still made our mistakes. But we could learn from our mistakes because we weren't tied too closely to others. We could learn from other mistakes because we tied close enough to see what was going on. But as we have moved towards this one-size-fits-all mentality, that, that everybody has to fit exactly the same, I think we've lost something important. I'm reminded of a story I, I heard a rabbi tell. See, in, in, in the Old Testament of the Bible, when God told the Israelites to build an altar, it was made of uncut stones. As a small child, my, my grandparents' home was, was covered in river rock. It was, it was rocks pulled out of the streams on the property. They weren't cut. They weren't honed. They were, they were mortared into place. They were chosen individually to fit in that just that right spot. And then, yeah, the mortar held them there. I remember observing miles and miles of dry stack stone markers, fences running along fields, and how those stones, without any mortar, kept together. Now, in the story of Babel, they decided to make bricks. Bricks are manufactured. Bricks are uniform. Bricks are identical, generally. And I think we lose something when we become just another brick in the wall. Yes, there are times when we, we seek help from others, and there are times when we reach out to help others. But if we lose our individuality, if we lose what makes us unique, we lose, I believe, a lot of the spirit that made America great in the first place. Thirteen states, each unique, each with its own economy, each with its own history, each with its own desires and preferences, yet joined together in a common cause, grew to 50 states, again, each unique, each with its own identity, each with its own personality, each with its own ideas of how to do things, yet held together in unity in a common cause, a, a, a common defense of themselves and a common defense of liberty. But it seems as we have been shaved off from unique individual states, as the states have, have shed what makes them unique in order to get the federal government to do for them what they should do for themselves, those states become less and less unique as they become more and more dependent on the central government. In the same way, it seems to me the people have become less and less unique as we've become more and more dependent on that central government. 
I think we don't take enough time to consider what DC has done for us. Sure, they've taken over responsibilities for us, things we should be taking care of ourselves. All it cost us was our freedom. Sure, they promised to give us safety and, and food and health care and, and housing. All it cost us was our individuality. And when Franklin said he would give up essential liberty for the promise of temporary safety, deserves neither liberty or safety. I always looked at that one way. Guard your rights, or you don't deserve them. I think what I'm seeing now is, it's not simply guarding our rights from those who would would uh, offer us, you know, the piece of candy, go for a ride, we'll take care of everything. But from the slow con, the slow enticement of just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Like the, the, the story of the, right, the frog in the boiling water. It, it, it's apocryphal. It doesn't work that way. But the analogy makes sense. We didn't turn over our rights to D.C. all at once. We never would have. But by slow edging away, wearing away of what made us unique, those, those different shapes, those odd angles, those strange corners, the ones that allowed us to interlock and become stronger together, were worn away by time. They were worn away like a, a stone in a moving stream gets worn away over time. So is what made us unique. To the point where the idea of federalism is anathema to many Americans. The idea that states have different ideas and we can, we can observe how they work, we can learn from them, seems lost. And it's not only that the, the federal government forces this on us, too often we wish to force our ideas on others. I think I know better than that state. You should do what I say. And if I have to, I'll make a law. I'll, I'll work to pass a law to make that happen. I think what D.C. Is, has done for us is cripple us. Like the person who has spends too much time in the recliner isn't strong enough to go out and run in the race anymore. The question then becomes, do we wish to remember remain a liberty-minded couch potato, letting bureaucrats and administrators and other people do for us what we should be doing for ourselves? Or do we wish to return to become, do we wish to become more? Do we wish to be able to not only help ourselves, but help our neighbors? The sacred fire of liberty that I often talk about, that George Washington talked about, doesn't go out because of a fire extinguisher. It goes out because of neglect. The Constitution doesn't become meaningless because it was attacked by a foreign foe, but it was ignored by the American people. 
As Daniel Webster said, I apprehend no danger to our country from a foreign foe. Our destruction, should it come at all, will be from another quarter. From the inattention of the people to the concerns of their government, from their carelessness and neglect, I must confess, I do apprehend some danger. Ladies and gentlemen, I do as well. And I hope as we approach New Year's, maybe you'll resolve to regain the strength of your liberty, your independence, and your willing to, willingness to live without being guided by the District of Columbia and the government that is seated there. I also hope you come back and join us for the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. All my shows, episodes go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on talk radio. You can listen on your favorite podcast app, but please subscribe to the show. Leave us ratings and reviews so others can find us as well. You can find all the links you need at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. But please, share them. Help others share and enjoy the blessings of liberty.